It's very brightly colored and it's very loud and it's fun for a while. We want to be free to, to do what we, we want to do. We went to Muhammad Ali and Sonny Barger, the president of Hell's Angels. This is 109.5. J.D. Strange. Mr. Strange. Is what it, who, can, you, can you talk me through J.D. Strange? I don't... I obviously, actually, I've got your book here. So... It, yeah, I am... Um, I, I I would love to tell you I've read it, but it arrived yesterday. So I'm I literally picked it up this morning and uh, and jumped into it, and I'm like ten pages in, so I, I can't give a lot of feedback. But um, obviously I know you as James Newman, but uh, maybe as a good intro, um, you know, from a JD Strange point of view, do you want to give us the give us the background? Uh, should I slip into character? Should I be JD Strange or should I be James Newman talking about JD Strange? Let's to James Newman talking about J.D. Strange. So I was um, co-host co co on a podcast and uh, the podcast was called This Strange Life. And um, some of the material we talked about on the podcast was not the kind of thing I would like to put my name to. And uh, it was a little bit risky. So I thought we should all change our names um, on the podcast. So uh, Mike became Mountain Man. Um, uh, Jordan became Chucks and I became JD Strange and there was a, a couple of other reasons people had approached me at the university where I work and asked about my books and stuff and I, I just don't like that I just want to keep separate um, so Strange was this strange life it's strange uh, JD was probably uh, a nod towards either Joe Dillon who's a character in five of my books, or Jack Daniels, maybe both. Um, but it was a nice lockdown project to create JD because I got together with Marcin, uh, the uh, Polish artist who, um, you know, he just, he just produced all this work. Um, so I, I managed and I, I, made, I built a website, I made a brand, you know, I, re, um, I reworked all my other material. So I said goodbye to Jake Newman as a literary figure and hello to jd strange awesome so this this is only recent then so i've that's the and that's related to the strange life podcast right did i get that right that's, yeah that was that was the seed of the idea yeah 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 that was i i just wanted another identity maybe i'm bipolar i don't know you have to ask you have to ask the other me <laughs> well maybe i will so that this I'm, i mean i will enjoy reading this book is this the I know you've written a number of books, but is this the first one under J.D. Strange then? And will there be more? Or is this um, a number of, have you written more under J.D. Strange? Well, J.D. Strange had a, uh, an interesting biography. He was, um, he was found, he was a, an abandoned child um, outside of a charity shop in, uh, in uh, Kent. Um, next to a thigh master exercise, piece of exercise equipment and a pair of jelly shoes. And he was, he moved into a, an adopted family and then he, at the age of 14, ran away to join the circus. And, and um, he later traveled around Europe, through India, then he jumped on the wrong boat and ended up in Bangkok. Now the circus talks about his journey from uh, when he was running away from the circus. So he got into the circus um, and it was, it was all too chaotic. 
um, like that blanket behind you, terribly chaotic, uh, flapping around. <laughs> so he ran away from the circus. Most people run to the circus, but he ran away. And the book documents that period of his life. It's set inside a mental institution. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I think I've just hit that part. I'm just at the part where it's been suggested he is, um, he goes and spends some time inside a, inside an institution. So yeah, I'm, I'm just at that. I mean, I'm 15 pages in probably. I literally just picked it up this morning. And it, he's, it's, it's suggested by the human cannibal. I don't know if you should take advice from a human cannibal. <laughs> but JD does. Because the human cannibal is like a, a father figure to him. Awesome. Well, I will enjoy it. So how long? I mean, we've known each other a while, but I, there, there's a lot of questions I haven't asked you, which is why I wanted to do this, which I thought would be interesting. But from a from a writing perspective, when you know, when did you start writing? When did you realize you had a love of writing? Um, do you have a love of writing? Because often a lot of writers I speak to have a kind of interesting relationship with writing. It's something they cannot stop doing, but not always they love it. It's just a, an outlet often. But yeah, when, when did it start for you? Tell, talk me through your, you know, your, your beginnings as a writer and, and when you realized it was something you wanted to, to do. Um, I, I think the French author, Genet, was asked this question. He, he said, at birth maybe before. Um, I can remember putting together stories before we could actually put them down on paper. I think we all do, right? We all, we all make up stories and songs and poems in our minds and then we transcribe them later. But I was writing long form fiction when I was six or seven years old and I wasn't very good at anything else at school. I was a nervous child. I was asthmatic. I was socially um, inept. Um, but the kind of, the really, I was in a really kind situation where the teachers were kind of creative people and they, um, they read the work and then they would structure lessons around um, plotting novels and, and building stories and stuff. So they actually focused lessons around one of my stronger points. So, so I had affirmation from a young age and then I would, I would write, um, I'd win competitions as a kid for writing poetry and stuff, and I would go and meet the mayor and stuff like this, you know. Um, so I knew I was quite good at it, but also it's not something to be um, too vocal about. Mm. You, you don't want to be admitting that you're into poetry or creative fiction in a kind of, um, you know, a comprehensive um, secondary school um, on the edge of a council estate. You don't yeah. do that. So what I did, I then went into music. So it was okay to write if you had a guitar. So I, I would write songs instead. Um, and then I came back to fiction when I was probably out of school and just, you know, in a more safer place. So, and particularly when I came to Asia, like Bangkok, I, I really began to write because there's so much material stuff here. So I've always, you know, I've always been doing it. What was the first book you published? Mm. Bangkok Express. Okay. In 2006 or 2007. About. And yeah. so very influenced. I mean, there's a lot of, I don't know whether your books, I, I, did your books kind of go, you know, the kind of airport route, you know, when you, you go through the airports in Thailand, mm. there's these kind of books that you see and over the years, I don't know if you were often on those shelves, but there's a bit of a, there, there's a kind of group of writers, right? Yourself being one of them that have, been here a number of years, some have probably gone, but that really kind of lean on all this great material in terms of 
characters and colour and everything you get from Thailand, particularly Bangkok. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a nice, for me at least, it was a no, it still is, in a way, a nice genre, the um, expat crime fiction novel. Um, it's, it doesn't really have a market now since after Me Too, we're not allowed to be muscular men in the sleazy bars anymore. It's totally, it's totally unfashionable now but at the time i guess from like the mid 90s early to mid 90s until about i guess about five or six well, four or five years ago six years ago there was like a golden age of uh expat fiction yeah right i'm trying to think which ones i read the ones i went through a i went through a time of reading all the prison ones which were not mm. they're not really actually many of those weren't fiction actually many of those were I mean, there was numerous ones where people had, I can't remember the names of them, there was an Aussie guy, which was a big one, you know, when they'd done time in, in inside a jail and then gone home after 10 years and written a book. There was a whole genre around that, but they weren't fiction. I assume they weren't fiction. Whether They, they were, were a little bit, weren't they? <laughs> well, I don't know, yeah, how much they stretched the truth, I don't know. I forget the real famous one, but yeah. I, they, they... I, liked, I liked Escape. Um, I thought that was a very well-written book. The guy called Macmillan, I think. Uh, the Damage Done was another That's one. right. Damage Done was one of Warren, Warren Fellows. That's right. He was um, an Auss Aussie guy from Newtown. Mm -hmm. That's it. That was the one I was remembering. Yeah, I love yeah, those. There's a, there's a really nice one set in um, South America as well, in Bolivia, I think, called Marching Powder. They, they might have made a... That might have became a movie, actually. Uh, no, it hasn't. And, not yet. Well, I, it hasn't, and I... Do not understand why not because honestly that book is it's a phenomenal story i mean that is the guy he's a british guy right and he gets done for trafficking he ends up inside a bolivian prison he ends up doesn't he connect with some like one of the um the travel book writers or something i, I can't remember but there's a guy who, uh, they, they, he starts doing tours inside right. the bolivian jail right and supplying cocaine to the a lot of the backpacking community if, if you can call it that it's a, it, it is a mad story because it reads like fiction and it's not um that book is i think i read it 20 years ago probably i um, love the part where he rocks up just rock up he's uh, he's taken to the prison and they put a plan in front of him like uh with different lots and he, he doesn't know what's going on but it's he has to choose his, choose his cell right he has based to buy, the, buy his cell yeah, yeah it's based, based on, on the amount of cash he's got <laughs> It, yeah, it's a crazy book. I, I think he kind of wakes up there having been beaten up. You know, it's almost like he was beaten unconscious, I think. And he wakes up and he's faced with this dilemma of he needs to find a cell. But it's basically like, you know, you're in a, a real economy that exists within this prison system where, you know, you start at the bottom and then obviously the, the kind of big time drug dealers and controllers, whatever, at the top are living in kind of plush apartment blocks within the prison complex. I mean, it it does read like fiction, although it's not. But um, yeah, it's not been made into a film, as far as I know, um, which does surprise me because it would make a great movie. Yeah, it must have been considered because they're not that expensive to make, are they? Uh, prison movies. Um, you're only one set most of the time. Uh, all the cast are in one place. It's a controlled environment. Um, was it Midnight Express was a good one, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that was one of the original one. ones. Yeah, mm. that was one of the older ones, I think. And then, of course, the more recent one, which I haven't even seen, 
what, what's the most recent one which with um the Thai one we both like my brain is not in yeah, thailand yeah prayer. it was filmed actually a lot of it was filmed yeah prayer before dawn prayer before dawn yeah which actually it was filmed i think a lot of it was filmed in the philippines although it's 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 based in thailand because i think access to locations in terms of filming inside and the sizes of the prisons made it easier to film there i know vithya when he was in it went over to went to uh, the Philippines for his scenes. So I don't know how much they shot over there, but I haven't seen that film. I should watch it. You seen it? Any good? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, I like one of the techniques they used, which I liked was they, it was for a long time, it was in Thai language. Um, but there were no subtitles. So if you don't speak Thai, it actually feels like you're in there, you know, you, you're, you're kind of confused, you're lost, you don't know what's going on. Um, and the tension just builds and the, the camera um, is kind of over the shoulder, but kind of shaky, you know, like the, uh, the wrestler kind yeah. of style, you know. Um, so yeah, good cinematography. Um, great performance by, is it Joe? Joe Cole, I think. Yeah, Joe Cole. Um, yeah, he, he always does well, you know, he's, he's a proper actor. He's an actor's actor. He can do voices. You know, he nails because the, the original guy who wrote the book, who I'm friends with on social media, and I forget his name. Um, uh, but he's he's from Liverpool. Yeah. And Joe speaks kind of like we do, but he nails this um uh this Liverpool accent throughout, you know, and he bumps up, you know, and he, he, he learns how to box, you know, he's a, he's a proper um character actor. Well, I shall check it out. There's some more stuff I want to ask you on movies, but before we get into it, I also want to chat about your writing a bit more. And just in terms of, you know, the people that have inspired you, if at all, I mean, you you have your own style as a writer, as all writers do, but have you taken, you know, kind of inspiration and, and hint from other writers or a, or a, or is it just kind of broad in terms of where, you, you know, the, the kind of writers that inspire and motivate you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can't help it. Uh, but I try and I don't really read much modern stuff now. And I'm not inspired by anyone who is alive, apart from one person who I probably won't mention. Um, but for me, it was, you know, just before television came a really big thing, you know, um, but after the novel was massive. So you had the gothic Victorian period where, you know, the novel really was the only form of entertainment other than um, classical music or whatever, or seeing a band. So the novel was kind of in its infancy, but it became, um, I feel a lot of that stuff's overwritten. It's um, um, not immediate enough, but in the 1920s, 30s kind of TV came along and I think novelists had to up their game a little bit more. They had to write stuff that was more immediate, that gripped the audience's attention a lot faster and uh, was also affordable. So you had the penny dreadfuls and then you had the pulp magazines, um, the birth of um, uh, Gumju Detective, Stashel Hannett, um, you know, um, uh, Raymond Chandler, um, heavily influences what I do, um, that style. Um, of uh, uh, pulp, um, noir, um, hard-boiled, um, gritty detective, muscular fiction written by men who drink hard and womanize. You know, <laughs> I love that. I love that style. 
It's a diet. Um, but, but, <laughs> Sorry, go uh, on. <laughs> beyond that, uh, so 30s, 40s, Patrick Hamilton was a great London writer working in the wartime period. Uh, books like Hangover Square and The Slaves of Solitude. Awesome, really good novelist. And then coming out, we go into the 50s and you have the Beat Generation, who I'm like a scholar of. You know, I love the Beats, uh, William Burroughs, Adam Ginsberg, Gregory Corso, um, um, all, these, all these people. Uh, Alexander Trochi deserves a mention as well. And even uh, Hunter S. Thompson uh, going into the 60s and the 70s. Um, but probably my favorite novels were in the Anthony Burgess needs a mention, going uh, Clockwork Orange, uh, going into uh, the 80s. And that's probably where I, I stop. Um, I don't read that much modern fiction, apart from some crime stuff. Um, but mostly it's 30s, 50s, and 60s for me. Is that, do you think, I mean, is that just, do you think just because your age, or do you think because actually, I mean, the, the way you're talking there, you know, some of those older novels and just the, the kind of people that put content out, do you just think the stuff that goes out now is just completely different? There's, there's a lot less depth to it. And, and this whole kind of consumption of online content now as well. Yeah, it's I mean, it's the media you know, phenomenon. I mean, yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I, I think you're right where um books now have to compete with uh, netflix television series and uh you know ultimately that's where the best stuff is if you want uh, media content you're probably better off watching films or uh, watching tv series because it's a it's a collaborative effort you know and it is better i think for the end product if there's some kind of collaboration involved in the uh manufacturing of that product so um yeah, I don't. I I love the romantic idea of a one guy sitting in a room writing books, and I did it a, for a long time in my own life. You know, I I, I like that process. Um, but I also like the, the the process of collaboration, working with other people. You know, working on a film set or whatever. There's a lot. It's 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 more. Um, it's healthier, I think. You know, we need to be mixing with people. I and, wonder what. I wonder, it's funny actually you're talking about this because it was like a point I had down to chat about, which was this whole collaboration. And I do wonder whether writing, uh, whether, sorry, well, yeah, whether writing and the, the kind of writing you'll talk about and, and reading will become like a, an art as opposed to a common pastime. You know, it's like this kind of digestion of online content of, I mean, even with this year, you wonder what's going to happen with cinemas now, whether, you know, so much stuff is going to be streamed. But um. But yeah, to 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 your point, and it was going to be one of my questions, is just your own view of, you know, you started talking about it then, and I'll, I'll let you kind of continue, but your own view of collaboration. And some people, writers particularly hate it, you know, other people love it. I know you and I, you, you and I have worked on a little bit of stuff. I love the collaborative process mm. because it, it's a very different, you know, it's a different way of, of doing things. Um, yeah, what's your whole view on collaboration? I butt in, sorry, but you were about to say, it and I just wanted to kind of elevate that and let you go on a bit more with it. Yeah, for a long time in my career, um, it's all been product based. It's all about the end products. It's all about writing the best book I can or the best film scripts or whatever. Um, and it's only recently I thought, 
what if that doesn't matter? What if the book doesn't really matter or the, the film doesn't matter, but the relationships you build whilst you're creating that, they are the things, they are what's more important. You know, people are more important than objects. So if you get the relationships right and you work with the, the right people, and, and you know when you do, um, I, li I like to call it the, uh, um, it was, it was uh, coined by Burroughs and Geisel in New York. Uh, they believed that when they worked on a project, when there was two people working on the project, there'd be a third mind. So there'd be a third mind, there'd be two people working, but there'd be like this, this shared mind, which is a really nice concept. It's almost like being that. in a, it's almost like being in a romantic relationship, you know, when you just have this shared thing uh, between you. Um, and that, when you collaborate with the right people, that's what happens. And it's through the kind of nurturing of that uh, relationship and offering all you can and accepting your thoughts and accepting their thoughts, you know, it's, it's like a relationship. Um, so if you get that right, then the book or the film script or the movie or the television commercial, whatever you're making, um, should, should should be of quality. Really love that. I'd not heard when you know I was kind of getting excited as you're saying it because I've been there in that situation. I think you and I have been there at points. So you know, probably when we were doing the um, full moon party stuff, I remember mm. sitting in a in a bar by the river in Bangkok. But there is this, you know, when you get into this create collaborative creative process with two two of you or more, um, there is this kind of third thing that that is somewhere in the void of wherever it is that becomes the creation that and you can you get this really awesome energy when you're doing it sometimes when both of you are kind of talking through characters mm. and motivations and plot lines and it's such a personally you know, yeah, it's one it's of the most more... satisfying fun processes ever and yeah really energizing and time just slips away when you when you're in that you know i'm sure you've been there where you're just like shit i've just been doing this for you know, eight, 10 hours and not, not had anything. Yeah, I, I get about four hours and then my brain fries, but um, <laughs> yeah, and you can move that kind of idea on to um, the, the crew when you're shooting a film. Um, there's normally about 12 people, which is the same sort of size as a hunter-gatherer hunting party. You know, so it's just that or a football team. A rugby team you know it's just the right size uh, a body of people to work um uh, uh functionally you know um so yeah i think we're, we're, we're tapping into all kinds of stuff when we're when we're creating and then when we're, we're, we're producing you know it's like we're, we're tapping into um uh, uh behavior which is innate and wants to be expressed you know um so we're lucky to be in a position where we can do that well, um, probably a good segue to talk about Crazy Medicine, which I posted the uh, trailer up this week, and I will go back and watch the movie, I think, after I haven't seen it. But how, how did that all come about? Um, that was with Matt Carroll, yeah. uh, who, who I've met, and you guys did really well with that, and I'm, I'm sure there's probably you know, more to be done. I mean, it was, what, 20 minutes short? Like, talk us through how that all came to life and, and the process and the, the fun of doing it and shooting it in Bangkok. It was very... Thailand centric story, I would say, or Bangkok centric with the themes. And yeah, talk us through a bit of that. So as most great things happen, or as most great things start, this started in the pub 
and it was on Soy 8. And I'm pretty sure it was the Kiwi pub before it moved across the road. Um, and I was sitting down with Matt Carroll, who is a, a novelist, um, and he lives in London to spend some time. He lives in Sussex, I think, actually, uh, but work, worked in London at the time. And he would always meet up um, as he was passing through. So I was there with a pint of cider. Um, I think uh, Gary Rutland was there with a glass of wine and Matt was there. And he mentioned that he was looking to find someone who could make a film and uh, that he had access to some finance and he had a script. Oh, and um, I just said, oh, I can do it. <laughs> no idea at all how I was going to do it. No, no real idea. Um, I did study media arts um, in the UK after school. So I was, you know, I, I went to film college basically, but um, none of that was really relevant now. You know, that was like dark rooms and shit, dark ages. <laughs> so I had to learn very quickly. Um, and we had like a few months to get it together to find a team. Um, so I looked at all the Thai films I could find. My friend, German friend, TV, uh, who's like my researcher, was extremely helpful in sticking all these films onto like uh, uh, USB flash drivers. Uh, and I'd go through them. And I know when I see good work, you know, when you just see good work, and I, you know, it's good camera work, yeah? Um, so I had, I had a few... Um, possible people I could use, Ty mainly as a director, but then I watched uh, P the Possessed, which was um, directed by Paul Sperrier, but it was uh, the cinematography camera was by Richie Moore, a young Richie Moore. He must have been 24 or something when he did that. Um, uh, and immediately I thought, oh, this, is, this is beautiful. This is just really nice camera work. Some of the stuff he was doing, the camera would pan go all the way down the, uh, the Thai government bus and then go out the door and pick up the people on the street. And there'd be a scene in a classroom where there's a book and the pages like flap open with the wind blowing in. All these beautiful little touches um, that I really liked. Um, so I arranged to meet Richie at W District and he turned up. Uh, we had a few beers and uh, he was like, didn't even talk money. She's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's make a fucking movie, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it, at the time, I thought it was all coincidence that these things were happening. So like then a sound guy would come and sit on the table with us and then the editor would come and sit. You know, we just would socialize, chat, have fun. Um, in hindsight, Richard set all that up. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I had my whole team, more or less, in in one bar <laughs> at W District in Krakadong. Um So yeah, and I, I was they were kind enough to me to not make me feel so inadequate. And uh, uh, they realized I had some um, input story-wise as well, stuff like that. I, I brought some shit to the table, you know. Um, I've, I've, I've brought some writing skills, but the technical stuff, the equipment, I just had to learn. I'm a bit better so your, your role, what was your, I mean, you were producer on that, right? That was your title. I was the was producer, it? yeah. I, I was the guy that gets blamed or praised. 
No, you get as a producer, you get blamed when it goes wrong. But you don't see any awards. You don't see any awards for producer at the Oscars, do you? <laughs> <laughs> True. I mean that that I, I mean I'm this, I love learning by doing though like that. I mean it's so it's different and not not quite as big a project. But when I shot the Dark Karma teaser, it was the same thing. I had no idea what I was doing, and mm. which was really fun. And you know probably I would say less pressure really because it was you know it was me that was it was my project so I didn't really have anyone to answer to in terms of the output of it but but the process of just bringing together a team and the the kind of location scouting which is probably one of the most fun parts just because Bangkok has so many awesome locations for shooting and then just bringing that all together as a vision and then getting into did you go into the edit room were you part of the edit or were you just like were you there right the way right through the process were you yeah I, I have to be I have to be it's um yeah, there's, I, yeah, I mean, all the, like with the sound production, for example, I went to uh, Spike and Stein's uh, um, Soy 13 uh, uh, condo, and he just has all these strange, uh, like techno, um, analog, like sound bites, which would work um, the different parts in the movie. So there's all these sounds, and I, I just have to chop them all down or remember them. So, and then I took those files to the edit, and also I had I had the script, so I knew where everything went. Um, so yeah, and I've just began editing myself, and I can do a little bit, but no, Je Jesse was fantastic in the in the booth, and uh, yeah, I was over his shoulder. And did um did the end product come out as you envisaged it through the? production shoot or because you know so much can change right i mean that's the great i think the great fun and the kind of magic of creating you know content creating a movie or, or series or whatever is just you, you kind of have a vision you bring a bunch of people together you have a script then actors start saying different things to the script that's fine they have their opinion you know a a, a location can then change what you thought it might look like and you know you finally get to an edit room with a you know more content than you need to pull together that the in your case 20 minutes or whatever it was or an hour if it's or two hours if it's a movie but yeah did you how was the vision how much did that match what came out at the end um you know in terms of what you thought or did it change was it you know was it as you imagined it would be is the um the writer and director of uh, with now than i is it bruce robertson or something um Anyway, for my film, but I couldn't tell you. Yeah. For my research, I watched tons and tons and tons of interviews with directors and producers to try and get a handle on how to do this. Um, and he was saying the night before they began shooting with Now and I, he was at the bar drinking vodka, he was really drunk, he was scared, he was really fucking nervous. And the producer walked over to him and said, Look, you can have the best director. You can have the best actors, you can have the best producer, you can have the best sound guy, you can have the best makeup, wardrobe, catering, whatever. But if you don't have luck, you're mm. fucked. If you don't have luck, it doesn't matter. And with Crazy Medicine, we were just really lucky, uh, really, really lucky um, to get some of the shit we did. You know? um, and I remember at the screening saying to Matt and the financiers, guys who put up the money 
Like I would totally, I would have totally taken this before I started. If someone said, okay, this, this is what it's going to be like, do you want to make the movie now? Or will you just go with this? I would have taken that. <laughs> so it was better than I thought it would be. Uh, it looked nice. Awesome. And what, um, are there any follow-on plans, if you can share them? I don't know, but is there, there was always ambitions to take that and build it into something bigger, right? And, and then go and shoot a full movie or a series? Or did I imagine that? I can't remember whether... whether yeah, we better, we better do it soon because, you know, everyone's going to get old. <laughs> it was 2017, so a lot of the actors probably don't look quite like they did then. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that we... Uh, we, we knocked on doors and stuff, and it, 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 it's just, I don't know, it, it, it would make a good prison. We were talking about prison films before. It would make a good prison film, because um, it ends with uh, Emily being arrested at the airport, and then you could put her into prison, um, and her father could come over with a load of cash to try and get her out, to bribe her out. Then he goes to a bar, he sleeps with a girl, she steals the money. Um, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So yeah, I did. We did. We did like write a potential second, third series. But um, yeah, if you're listening and you want to invest in crazy medicine, um, <laughs> give me give me a call. I will leave all the details on the uh, on the pod of of that. Definitely. Um, let's talk about Dark Karma a little bit. You and and obviously you and Richie have kind of taken hold of that, which is exciting. Um, you know, Richie, I love Richie's work and having watched the most, having watched the rather disturbing Who's Watching Oliver, which is an awesome piece of work on, it's incredible what he, what he did with that. Um, yeah, how are you guys, you know, how are you guys going with that? What's the, how does it feel as a project and, and where you're going to take it? Is there this kind of third person creative vision oh, coming God, together? Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful process. Really, really um, productive. Um, totally into the film um and the we started our process started just like talking about it so we'd go to the pub and, and uh you know have a couple of beers or 10 or 12 beers and and talk about the film and uh, where we could see it going what worked what didn't work the general kind of um structure um so these these creative sessions are important um especially if you you have to retain all that information, obviously. Um, so it's important not to wait too long until you start doing pages. Um, so the the process now is I'm in Ekamai, um, Richie's in Prakanong, which is just across the road. Um, so he arrives, we have lunch, we talk about it, uh, we go to seven, we buy Leo beer. And uh, we've even considered calling the Russian character Leo in homage. <laughs> Brilliant. In homage to the the, the 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 liquid that fuels the process. Um, so he will he will march up and down. He's standing, walking continually, just pacing like a fucking leopard, you know, in a cage, walking up and down with a large bottle of Leo in his hand. I'm at the typewriter um, with the uh, with with the final draft open. And the good thing of writing for so long is I'm, I'm pretty quick now, so I can kind of keep up. Um, and then we'll go back and then I, I will stand up. I will act out a scene and I'm character A, he's character B. Um, we're experiment with voices, with accents. Um, and we're looped back ideas where they fit in. So it's been really, 
again, it's been lucky. Um, yeah, organically worked really well together. Um, nothing's forced, nothing's difficult. It's just a lot of fun. And it's, and a, you, great, it's a great script. You, so you actually write, so when you do these sessions, you're actually in Final Draft writing actual script, actual dialogue, or you, or you just taking notes and you go away and write afterwards? No, I'm in Final Draft. So I'm, I'm typing it as we go. Uh, which you know is a pain in the ass because you have to change, you have to toggle between action, dialogue, character. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm surprised uh, you do that. It's an interesting way of working. So the, yeah. the way to, to cheat it is you just uh, you stick it all in action um, and, and you type up the dialogue, just type the name, paragraph, uh, dialogue, name, paragraph, and then go back up, sort out all the, uh, all the different functions later. But it's amazing they haven't come up with a better, a better program, isn't it, for I, doing this? Yeah, well, well, actually, I, I, it's so difficult because people have their own ways of working, right? So I, the, and that's a, something else I want to ask you about. I'm speaking to Dom Linder at some point in the near future as well um, about his process. I mean, do, I think I don't think you know screenwriters necessarily all work to the same process. So then it, it's very hard to create technology that supports that because I think everyone has their own ways of doing things. I mean, you're talking about basically being in a collaboration session with a director who's marching around, you know, throwing out ideas and you're actually in real time writing dialogue. I, I couldn't imagine doing that. You know, for me, like when Don and I worked on Dark Karma a couple of years ago, we, we would spend kind of hours together in session, scribbling notes and, you know, going through, different scenarios and then you know in that then he would then go away and write so yeah i think what you just said there and there's almost like you need a different application for it but i wonder whether other people work like that it's quite i think i would well, imagine it's a relatively unique way of working on a script i think but not historically it goes back to i mentioned before about how i dug the uh, the kind of 1930s 40s pulp fiction writers and what these guys would do, they would hire out, they would hire a secretary um, who worked in the, uh, who would come, go and live with them. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> she would, or they'd hire an office with a secretary who could um, take dictation. So the old pulp writers used to stroll around the, the, the office of the room with their fedora hat on and their fucking suit and their cigar and their whiskey. And they would just tell them the story. And these normally, you know, middle-aged women would, would type them up like this. So I guess I'm the middle-aged woman in this scenario. And Richie is the cool fedora-wearing pulp fiction writer. There's, there's actually probably, there's probably a great story in the writing of this story because it sounds, yeah, it sounds we should interesting. And it. It, yeah, well, you should do it. It's interesting in itself as a... As a as a little process, as a little kind of mini movie to you know how a movie, how a movie is written. So, yeah. Um, coming towards the end, quick fire questions, and I, I wanted to just ask you, you know, favorite movies. What are they? Tell us your what are your your top uh, movies over the okay. years? Could uh, be one, can be three, can be ten. I don't mind. Uh, Apocalypse Now. Yep. Uh, uh, Pocket now, um, Clockwork Orange, um, Casablanca. Interesting one. And uh, I've got to go for something 80s horror, I feel. Uh, Halloween. 
And oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, oh, I watched a movie last uh, two nights ago that I hadn't seen before, and it's it feels like it should be included because it's fresh in my mind. But um, you know, it's, it's, it might sink down the list. Uh, go on, girl. Yeah, that's a good movie. It's fucking awesome. Wait, on, a, on a writing yeah. level, it's brilliant. Uh, um, that, so, that it, who is it? Who's the? Oh, it's me Fincher, isn't it? I think. Oh yeah, no. Who's the? The actors, Affleck. Yeah, but uh, does, the, does, the doesn't sound Affleck? Guys, Trent Reznor. Affleck directs it as well, though, right? I thought it's David Fincher. I might be wrong. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he he directed the one about the bank job, actually. But he Affleck's really interesting because. If you look at the beginning of his career, he was awful. You know, I don't know if you remember, there was this, he got caught, you know, parked up somewhere in like Santa Monica, Santa Monica Boulevard with acting for dummies in the back seat of his convertible. I always remember this being splashed across the Sun newspaper or something. Uh, it was a really, you know, it was really amusing because he really was quite awful at the beginning and he's just grown into this you know, really accomplished now actor and director. And he's directed a few really good movies. And yeah, he's really kind of grown through his career. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how you feel about that, but yeah, for me, he's, he's, he's now enjoyable to watch and directed some really cool shit, so. Yeah, good ball. Um, I just want to slip uh, Pulp Fiction into that list as well. Yeah, of course. I can remember watching that in the movies. Do you, do you think, I mean, Gone Girl's a recent movie, but it's much harder these days. I, there have been some good movies, but it does seem like, maybe this is just me getting old. It does seem like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was a lot more good stuff made. And my girlfriend and I now have been watching, I've been going through watching old movies with her. We watched Jaws, right, about oh, two months fantastic. ago. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I don't want to watch that. She was like, you know, up till then, she was like, oh, I don't want to watch anything more than five years old. So I said, well, just try. And she watched Jaws. She was just totally blown away with it. And I was like, you know, the the amount of work that goes into the characters and, you know, and then you go and watch something, you know, you're in the mood to watch something you don't have to think about, but a lot of the kind of more modern films, of course, you get all the superhero films and they're just, they're so shallow, you know, I mean, there's a lot more gloss and the effects as well, like some and I both watching things. It's just, I mean, the first aliens, the best example that there is, you know, that's a guy in a suit and it, and you're absolutely on the edge of your seat. And then you get, mm. as soon as CGI comes into it, you just lose the, you lose the kind of frightening element. It's really interesting how CGI has added an awful lot to movies, but it's also taken away probably as much, really. Yeah, I, I, Jaws, uh, also technically it was very good. You know, the camera, there's that scene, that shot, sorry, when, uh, the camera's on a dolly pulling back, but there's, he's zooming at the same time. And it's, it's on a beach as well, which is tricky. Um, so maybe it's on tracks, maybe it's on the train uh, rails, uh, but it's pulling back and going forward at the same time. So it gives you that, that menacing um, uh, image. Um, yeah, CGI is good sometimes, right? I like some of the CGI horror films. Um, there's a Malaysian kid, right? Um, I say kid, he's probably my age now. Um, but he did uh, he did Saw, the original Saw, and made a load of money off, off of that, and then did like Haunted and uh, all these really cool horror movies. Uh, but they, they use a lot of CGI. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all right, sparingly, but don't, you know, don't rely on it too much. Yeah, I think, yeah, used in the right way, it's great, but 
there's no getting away from the fact some of those older i mean actually we tried to watch the shining that, that would be in my top films but it was um that went off after 15 minutes uh, Son was a bit too uh a bit frightened <laughs> it's that, that what film part, is, what part what part did you bail i think at I what think, part uh, i think it was the the when the kid's on the tricycle and turns the corner oh yeah yeah, okay. I think it was then, and the two girls, and I mean, I love that movie. That's in my top movies. But even now, when I watch it, it's not really like, you know, frightening in the way of oh, I'm frightened. It it's chilling, you know. And I, for me, the bit that really gets you is when you, it's so simple the way it's done. But is when he, when he first meets the janitor. I don't know if you call him a janitor, but the, and the guy just turns and he says, "Uh, you like ice cream, doc?" But he says it in his head. But they do it very cleverly because you see him turn around and say it to the kid. But the kid thinks he sees him, but actually it's him talking in his head to the kid. So, um, yeah, yeah it, could great be, it could be a story about, you know, al alcoholism as well. You know, it's a re really big theme in that, you know, the chaos of being an alcoholic as opposed to the order of sobriety. Uh, a lot of that's in it. You know, the, it begins with him or his son knocking over the papers, you know, and uh, him lashing out, you know, stopping drinking, going to the house. It's the house like a metaphor for addiction. You know, it works on many levels. Yeah, it's a, it is. It is a great movie. Hey, look, before we knock off, we, we were chatting some, about something before we started um, recording, which is that image behind you, which I know has a great story to it. So, so you've got a Zoom background, but that's a photo that you took, right? And yes, that is, is the guy that I've seen in Bangkok around the uh, MRT, around the BTS stations. You want to just talk us through it as a, as a closing story, because it is a little bit of an interesting one, I think. OK, so he is a street artist um, and he uh, creates these like mind maps, like engineer style diagrams all around the city. Like he could be unlocking some kind of code and he believes he is, you know, he believes there's a, uh, a malevolent, there's, a, there's an evil power in Bangkok that centers around Soy 11. Um, and this is the overpass bridge um, around about Soy 10, Bangkok, so it's just before you get to that. Um, and he is, you know, they say artists are unapproachable, but he's like really difficult. He, when he, I, I've, I've come up to him a few times when he's working, he shouts at himself, you know, he screams, he barks like a dog, you know, he's, he's fucking crazy. He's what the uh, the French call art brut, outsider art. Um, and now he is being displayed in the National Thai Gallery in Thailand. Oh, that work. I didn't know. He's it, it, got rooms there now, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so he is, uh, and he's featured in the opening shot of Dark Karma. So you, we're, we're up in the sky, and we're looking at the uh, the sunset, this brilliant orange pollution, pink Bangkok metropolis sunset going down. Uh, the drone goes down through a tangled mess of wires, which is typical um, to Bangkok, right? The pylons with all this craziness of wires. Um, and then we go beyond, we go through the wires and we go down um, and we land on a piece of work that this guy's created. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's uh, planning you know, the apocalypse or whatever. And then the camera picks up, we look at his face, he laughs, and then off, we're into the movie. So, and, but it is actually, um, it is actually important to the theme as well of uh, 
of, 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 the, of the rewrite. Um, awesome. But, but yeah, I love the guy. He's crazy. But he's uh, best artist in Bangkok. Awesome. Well, cheers. Yeah, I've seen him. I've been there when he's by the BTS. So cheers for sharing that. And that's great that they've got him in a gallery. I had no idea about that. That's good that he's mm. actually, um, because he does, it, there is something behind what he's doing. It's very interesting. And yeah, great that he's, that he's out there and being displayed in some way. So, well, it's been good to chat. James, JD Strange, um, any other names to go to i'm not sure but do you, do you want to share where people can find out more about you um i will put it in the notes but just you know where people can find your books information on you everything else what's what's the, the the best direction yeah i'm on social media a lot so um yeah either jd strange or james newman on uh, facebook and uh, twitter um there's a website www.jdstrange.com and you can buy um official JD Strange merchandise, uh, posters, books, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, flamethrowers uh, through the web website, uh, vegan flamethrowers. Did I tell you I got, poison, I got poisoned by a fucking hipster today? Did I tell you this? I <laughs> no, came out. I, I, I came out of the relative safety of Big C Superstore in Ekamai, and there was, you know, sometimes you go into this zone of like hipster kind of uh, organic farm foods and shit like that. Um, and there was a store selling bagels, and I was attracted to the bagel store. So I ordered a chicken Caesar bagel, and um, I, I, I stuck it in my bag. I got back home. I took like one bite, two bites, and then my stomach just fucking clenched. You know, and it reminded me, Matt, of that time at the Indian restaurant. <laughs> I forgot about that Indian restaurant. <laughs> That's probably... <laughs> we don't uh, we don't want to go into that on here but it's uh i mean i don't know how that india if that indian restaurant in bangkok is still there but that is a fright it's still there it's still there it's still ticking over it's a frightening place um we didn't actually get poisoned there but it, it well we also didn't eat the food did we we ran okay. away pretty fast i don't know what we were served so if you do visit the website you can get vouchers which are good for a poisonous hipster bagel or alternatively, you can get vouchers for the Indian restaurant on soy, whatever it was, 2030, 31, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, log on. Awesome. Mate, it's been good to chat. And also, by the way, I love the artwork. I've noticed there's a real theme to this artwork across the site. It's really, it's really nice. Um, but some, someone said kind of, it, look, it, look, it looks kind of erotic. Look at it again. This it. it looks kind of erotic. Like I suppose there's the opening flaps of the tent. And oh, yeah, yeah. The, now I see where you're going with that. Yeah, 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 sure. It wasn't my intention. <laughs> Fair he's enough. He's Polish. He's it, Polish. Well, he's, he's good. He's done a good job. I like it. Maybe, you know, yeah. maybe you can incorporate that into some of the Dark Karma themes. So. Sure, we can get him on board. Awesome, mate. Okay. Hopefully we get to catch up in Bangkok sometime soon because, I, I mean, as lovely as it is up here in Pai, I really need a, a trip to the big smoke. It's been a it's been it's been a year i think so yeah um i shall hopefully be down soon and we can catch up in person have a beer get, meet you and richie yeah and try and do it before we see we wave goodbye to 2020 which has been a fantastic year for not many people yeah uh, but yeah it'd be good to see you down here before we uh, ring the bells for sure mate oh all the best yeah good to chat and uh we shall catch up again soon okay cheers buddy take care cheers Two are Muhammad Ali and Sonny Barger, the president of Hells Angels. This is 109 Farms.